So the aims and processes of meditation are to extend and uh, deepen wisdom, so discernment. Wisdom is a faculty we all have. It's just the ability to know one thing is distinct from another. In its very simplest form, it's you know, it comes with consciousness, some discriminating faculty. So it's not an intellectual, or it doesn't have to be an intellectual faculty. It can, obviously, it can inform the intellect. But it's really much more universal than you'd think when you use a word like wisdom. So it means being wise about how we practice meditation, <coughs> the process itself. You know, meditation doesn't sit in a vacuum. So why is better health about what other things we take on? Um, you know, so everything is supporting. Uh, why is with re- reference to cause and effect, knowing whatever we do or say has its effects, and what we don't do and don't say that has its effects too. If we we can let things pass or drop things or you know, so all these things are cause and effect. You know, we re- experience results of that or close we get to the mind. Which is really what meditation is, it's just getting very close up to you know, this incredible uh, vortex of mind mentality. And actually going and penetrating that into the depths of it. So you just, you know, wisdom is really just just considering, reflecting, you know, habits, what I do, what I don't do, attitudes towards myself, attitudes towards others, attitudes towards Dhamma, towards Buddhism, you know. We can either get kind of rather hard-edged and fundamentalist about it all, the should-be's, the theories, or kind of lose some of the, the sense of perspective. You know, it's not just a make-me-feel-good experience either. It requires some, uh, you know, sense of applying oneself to the Buddha's teachings, not just the one's own views and feelings. So it's a way how we handle is wisdom, knowing always cause and effect, what takes one to clarity, to release, and even minor degrees of release, the release from self-aversion, you know, doubt, stress in its, you know, over overreach or expecting too much or trying to get too many things sorted out and trying to make the process happen quicker than it can so the more we get you know start to release some of these views these attitudes we get closer to the heart of meditation it all builds up It's going one way. It's getting you closer to the to the heart of meditation, to the penetrating the mechanism or the fabrications of the mind.
So wisdom is also applied to what's called vipassana, as an aspect of wisdom, um, seeing into basically the, the conditioned nature of thoughts, feelings, moods, emotions, the body, sensations. It's none of it's actually um, substantial. None of it is actually, it's all compounded. That is, the body doesn't exist on its own. It exists as a coming together of various elements, solidity, warmth, pressures, movements. You know, this is what gives us the body impression. You know, bodies don't exist you know, as solid entities, even on a physical level, all masses of different bits and pieces stuck together. They can't survive without air, water, food. They're born of father and mother. So there's no way in which you can actually have a, a body as a finite, separate thing, you know. And you experience it in meditation really as this process of sensations, feelings, that's pleasure, pain, uh, impressions, warmth, resistance, misperceptions, energies, sankara, flushes, flusters, stuck places, bustling, tight, loose, you know, sometimes very radiant energies and the consciousness every moment it's arising every moment it's arising so it's it's this kind of conglomerate of all this and we often use the, the body because it, it's uh, it's much more easy to discern to, to get that sense of stepping back seeing it you know as an object rather than being in it as we are so much with the mind, so much kind of emotional reverberations with mental stuff. We can be a little bit less involved or viveka <coughs> in the body. It's just a continual process. You're standing, walking, breathing, of just sensations, perceptions, pressure, that's a perception, warmth, that's a perception, movement, that's a perception. Spaciousness, that's a perception. Mm. Cold, warm. And the feeling, pleasure, pleasurable or disagreeable. And these, these energies, just throwing, you know, moving it all around. That's what, that's what you experience directly. That's, so that's, that's, there's some wisdom there, seeing as it is. And seeing that right now, you know, in any given moment, all we can experience in terms of the body is, is just this. But when there's mindfulness, this ability to bear something in mind over a period of time, you notice that the just this is changing. You know, it's cooler, warmer, more relaxed, more tight, different sensations, different feelings. So... You know, and this is the, the consciousness itself is always changing. <coughs> it's the process of change. 
any moment you can take one photograph of that and think this is what I am because that's all I am at this moment but then next moment it's changed again and that, oh this is what I am take a photograph of that this is what I am, I'm sick tired, I'm hungry pain oh this is what I am photograph that and if we you know, come back to that viveka that sense of disengagement not reiterating not keep bringing it back in the sankara not stuck in it not obsessed with it not fascinated by it instead of consciousness being stuck in a reiterating loop you know it can change obviously the body's affected by illness and age and stuff like that so the changes are more in terms of energy you get less tighter going on more spacious energy starts to balance itself being with physical discomfort you know so the more that you you actually establish mindfulness to the point the mindfulness becomes more samadhi, more concentrated, more firm, and unmoving. Then the physical discomfort is just like um, a thing out there. You know, it's both there and not there. It doesn't get in and wind you up. It's just there. It's just that that lump, that that thing there. And you're not engaged with it. So those energies of frustration and trying to fix it can relax. A sense of dispassion, resting it. And it gives a very, very profound and incremental changes in the mindset of how we relate to pleasure pain, for example. Pleasantness just there. Feeling is doing what feeling is supposed to do. Feeling is supposed to feel. It can only feel pleasant, painful, or neutral. That's its business, that's its duty. But it's not the heart's duty to get involved with it. But, you know, <laughs> easier said than done. You know, But that's kind of what practice is about. It's not about not having a feeling, it's just that, yeah, that's there, isn't it? You know, in a bodily sense. What else are you expected to do? So that kind of real patinisig of giving up relinquishment on feeling. That is, not trying to not feel, but not also not in the feeling. So feeling the feeling as a feeling with reference to a feeling. Feeling is just the doing what it's supposed to do. It's not got no intention. It doesn't want to hurt you or delight you. It's just doing its business. So with wisdom about that, there's a kind of release. 
on that pressure and agitation. And it's the immediate, but of course, as we know, it takes quite a bit of time to get to the immediate. And building up the wisdom, letting it mature, building it up through supporting calm and insight. And the mind, you're, as it, you're actually working on these very fundamental and tenacious energy habits to fight, to grab, to resist, to agitate, to ignore, to switch off. That takes time. Process steadying, calming. Now it's much easier to calm the body and the mind. So we start the body, just the sitting position, loosening up, finding the right posture. Just always that, you know. So to me, that that really is a big chunk of what the meditation is. And uh, sensing, you know, this is the wise way to practice. And we've already set it up, four foundations, the first is the body. Because the mind is so powerful, ability to slip out. You want to kind of hold it within the body get it to loosen some of its habits by saying, okay, you handle the body. Then applying oneself to the calming, steadying it's a wise way to practice and again this isn't in a vacuum trying to live in a renunciate form it's conducive to calm, having less and uh, less mission less sense of you know got to make something happen in time this renunciation is calming and uh, the three three fundamental bases of right aim right thought right inclination samasankapa are non-harming non-anger uh, or non-cruelty and non-sensuality so renunciation gentleness Empathy. Mm. So you know, meditation isn't something that exists outside of this. This is what we're inclining towards, or being asked to put a recommending we incline towards, as he did his own practice. This is for my welfare, for other people's welfare. We want ourselves, other people, the monastery, the sangha. Develop, we develop these three bases non harming, non cruelty, 
exploring sensuality. And that's why it, pays, it comes back to training one's mind in one way so that when we meditate it's the same basic setup. The non-blaming, the non-bludgeoning, the non-empathy. Um, mm. So, I mean, samatha, calming is also about having a good will towards oneself and others at the moment. What it's like to feel good energy coming this way, to feeling, you know, some sense of appreciation of one's efforts, appreciation of living a moral life. Gratitude. So, yeah, some recoll uh, recollections every day on the blessings of one's life. These things are wise uh, reflections. We do daily chanting to encourage certain reflections. You're really starting to live in line with what the Buddha was teaching, feeling some confidence and faith and, oh, you know, on the right track, appreciation, respect, self-respect. So, so it's, you know, you take it from the reflective lifestyle and into the, leads into the, what we call meditation. And practicing towards the body, which is something we can get a little bit more perspective on. Even internally when you're breathing, sometimes just bringing up that reflection or that touch with your breathing, just like your breathing is food. It is a kind of energy food. Without it, you, you're in deep trouble. So just feeling that sort of, you know, trying to monitor every breath, just the sense of being nourished by an in-breath and cleaned and released by the out-breath. So you get the, the right sort of tone to it. It's, a, it's quite a delicious thing. So when you come to sit, you should sit just as if you walk for 50 miles. Oh, wow, that's great. When you come into the hall, you should come in just like you've been out in a snowstorm. Oh, wonderful. No, rain, no, cold. Oh. When you breathe, it's just like you've been gasping for air or you've been inhaling, you know, fumes. Oh, sweet breath. So, you know, setting the mind up to a much more appreciative way rather than plunk myself down for another grueling hour of meditation. <laughs> Just like sitting like, oh, get my weight off. Lovely to be in. So that's a, you know, preliminary reflection on meditation, welcoming yourself in. Have a seat, bring a space. Take a breath. 
how to kind of prepare the ground with those resonances that can be kind of in the background or sometimes in the forefront of the mind of worry, anxiety, fix it, do it, get somewhere, not going to get anywhere, those kinds of um, sankharas and energies and impressions and thoughts. How do you want to play it, you know? What supports faith? Confidence. Sense of you can start now. come in for the first time, appreciate being out of the cold. you know, wise to set up the right environment, the right mental space attitude that can help to integrate things. Really want to have that sense of being stepping back and vacant and dispassion and letting things melt down and fade and change. Because it's in there that the energies start to, in that particular place that's slightly looser, slightly more restful place that your energies integrate. You don't get the same immediate reactions and build up. You get a place where there's a an out breath you might say. Pausing. Sitting. Coming in and sitting. Ah. For that moment there's that ah. And then, oh, before the next thing picks up. So that, that's calming. And that's the, the kind of place or the, the phase in the mental process that allows us to integrate, or allows the system to integrate. So we're not still running on yesterday's script. We're not still not running and reiterating a narrative of an hour ago, a place of resting, calming. Well, we, you know, doing it in this physical sense because the mental sense is so evocative that sometimes it's difficult to find a break between the phases of mental thought, of mental process, thought and emotion just kind of chasing each other like two dogs running around chasing each other's tails, getting unhappy about the thought, thinking about the unhappiness, getting unhappy about the thinking, you know, getting worried about it, about thinking, trying to stop thinking, getting fed up with trying to stop thinking, getting irritated about being fed up, and so forth, just kind of runs around and around and around and around. And, uh, 
And so you don't find that necessarily that place where, oh, you can, these energies can discharge. The way you use your body, your breathing. <coughs> Entering the mind is, um, is hard work, tires you. If you find that you haven't got enough adequate calm, that place of discharge, meditation can be a l- really tiring. You know, you come out of retreat thinking, well, I'm wor- worn out, shattered, you know. <laughs> what did you do? Well, I sat there. Because yeah. we don't place kind of mind can just run us ragged. You know, it's like having a bunch of three-year-olds. Trying to look after a bunch of three-year-olds and running off in different directions. And you know, stop catching me. And just run you ragged. So, you know, that sense of how we get so exhausted in uh, spiritual life over the emotional stress and the thoughts and the inability to find a place where, where that can uh, discharge, you know, the energy can discharge and pick up the topic again, you know, but just discharging the energy. Mm-hmm. So you see that's an essential part of mind cultivation and of being human. People. Basically, human beings crack up. They can't do that under the pressures of the society. They just totally go down the tubes, depressed, overwhelmed by their minds. And this is that place where... When you come to the mind, it's the same sort of scenario, the aggregates, the forms, the mental forms, which experiences either thoughts or perceptions, emotions, impressions, and the feeling they have, the energies they carry, and then consciousness, mental consciousness, bringing them up, presenting them. And with these, again, photographer, that's what I am. That's what's happening. That's where I am at. This is true. This is the real. This is the way it is. You know? And uh, with the mind, you know, you can keep reiterating that till it becomes the way it is. We all know this is mental calm is the strongest. That we can keep sustaining, or this energy can keep sustaining that same mental scenario, emotional habit, thought pattern, intensifying it. So it does seem the real thing. But then look at what the energy that's making it so. Is that an energy you feel comfortable with? The energy of craving, desire, the energy of regret or grudge, the energy of worry, the energy of aversion. Are those you know, forces, you can feel them, you can trust them? No. The energy you can trust is one of, to me anyway, 
and release the, the ability to discharge. If there's no discharge possible, that is locked. There's no place where that can be put down, let go of. It's locked. So you can't trust it. And as we all know, well, probably we know that if that isn't happened, that mental habit pattern becomes stronger and stronger and more intense. This is how people go mad. And a lot of people are in manageable degrees of insanity in the, on the world. <laughs> you know, sustainable, manageable degrees of mental obsession. Mm -hmm. And some people are in unmanageable degrees of it, just become completely psychotic, neurotic, obsessive, compulsive disorders, the whole thing, you know. Because the mind, and for them, if you're in that, it's totally real and true and solid and, you know, paranoia, whatever it is, it's, it's actually true. Aversion, fantasies, true. Until maybe something breaks. So, although we may not sense this is impermanent, this mental train is impermanent, notice at least it's reiterated. And then you begin to look at the energies that sustain it. Processing for insight, viveka, non engagement, viraga, the sense of sensing the fading. That is that particular phase where the thought fades, goes down. That's what you want to become familiar with because that's the way to discharge the fading. And what is it that stops that happening? Mm -hmm. Can we find that lock or that intensity? Is where you use your body, practice breathing out, breathing in, widening, softening, reflecting. We just want to really focus on those places where it keeps getting hooked into the same pattern, distrust or whatever it is. Got to get out, escapism. You know. So you find these places, or they come sooner or later if you're going to acknowledge them. You know, the little place where I've got to run, got to get out, or the place where I'm just going to put my head down and shrug this one off. Or the place where I'm going to get up and fight on this one. You know, these places in us. Ooh. And that's where, that's the seed. That's the, the place of, of the patterning is, is, is intensified there. And that's the place where we need to release. And we come into that place where we feel locked and the quality of kindness, empathy, breathing in, breathing out, all the time in the world. Yeah. And other than that, in Sangha life, one of the advantages is you talk to other people, you realize he's just, as he's just as crazy as I am. It's not just me. So, you, you know, you get, <laughs> you get to see the kind of anatta of it all. That that helps too. 
So you can get kind of averse over the way somebody moves their bowl or opens a door. You want to kill them. kind of what they call the, the famous Vipassana romance where you fall in love every three days, four days, <laughs> you know, lock to something. But of course these are not so easy so that, that wisdom is knowing well how much of this can you really, how close do you want to get to this before it just pulls you in again. And then the, the place you have to work out in a way is, you know, where can you really hold the mindfulness so it's just letting the feeling be the feeling, letting the mind state express itself. Where can it be so that you're not invo getting involved, not winding it up, not getting into that, you know. And this is what mindfulness and samadhi are about. Samadhi, the mind is actually firm, it stands on its own, in its own little energy field, its field of goodness, its field of sati. And then it doesn't get pulled in. And you could then, in that case, it's almost like, rather like a battery or like an um, electrical current, where the, the quality of that firm groundedness can start to earth the flutter pull, the tension, the grip, just earthing it, not disapproving of no attitude, not understanding it, not disapproving of it, not condoning it, not, you know, but just letting it earth. Just like when somebody's in a panic, you don't give them a lecture on a Nietzsche, you just put your hand on their shoulder, say, let's go for a walk. That earths it. You know. it's, it's very like that, don't tell them to snap out of it. <laughs> That's what standing, establishment of mindfulness, standing close, but not, you know, yet how can you stand? This is what a lot of our samatha, formal meditation practices, learning how to, the mind to find its own ground, its own standing so that we can begin to, to earth, you know, without doing anything about it. So there's a, almost you become, we develop something so that no more development is needed. It's just a matter of letting things unravel themselves. And there's wisdom about that process, because if you're always trying to fix yourself, change it, make it better, essentially we don't come into the place of, Discharge, release, relinquishment, not self.
there's wisdom also is understanding that you know I don't really resolve anything but the indriyas, the faculties, the enlightenment factors they can do it that's their duty that's their job they go their way and that's that's kind of why it's very it's a it's a respectful and uh, humble process <laughs>